Hello and welcome to another good news episode of How to Save the World. My name is Tim Bat. And I'm Waveney Worth. And this is a podcast about sustainability. And this is an episode about feeling good about what's happening in the space. Because, you know, a lot of information out there doesn't make you feel so good. And it's important to feel good sometimes so that we don't get disempowered. Probably important to feel good most of the time. Yeah. And I'm feeling good. I love doing these episodes. I actually get so happy when I research them. Awesome. Are you feeling good? I'm feeling good. Yeah, I'm feeling very positive. I've got some great, um, some great big good news. Oh, good. Actually, I'm feeling really like, I feel like I've got some epically good news. I think we've both gone on like a macro scale this time, which is exciting. Yeah, we have. Oh, because we've gone, and we've got, because Tim and I never talk about what we're going to do. We like to surprise each other. We like to surprise each other. And we've both kind of done a a bit of a focus on money-related stuff this Mm. time, eh? With other things thrown in. Yeah. Do you want to kick off? All right, let's do it. Actually, before I do, Tim, one of the things that makes me happy is that since you and I started recording this podcast, you have switched from tea bags to little tea balls. Yeah. Yeah. Loose leaf as yeah. a direct result of this podcast. That makes me happy. I've um I also uh talked to my flatmates and just dropped this as an idea and they're very on board. And I was like, let's try and figure out how to reduce our waste as a flat, like as a as a New Year's resolution oh, kind cool. of thing. As that, in this coming New yeah, Year's. Yeah, 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 yeah. nice. Because nice. it's like that, that could be a fun sort of project for all of us to get involved with. You know, keep each other accountable and, and yeah. figure out different zones and swap tips and You guys should thing. do an audit. You really should. It would be quite fun to to know at the beginning of the year how much waste you're creating. How do you do – do you just like – how do you do that? Look at your rubbish bags that you're putting out, your bins, I mean. You could do it just by weight. So you you just know the the date that you start with no rubbish and then seven days later you can weigh what you've accumulated. True. Um, And you could do it by waste stream so you can see um, how much your food – scraps weigh like because you guys compost yeah um and or how much your recycling weighs how much your rubbish weighs uh and then the next level would be to actually look at what's inside your rubbish bin okay my first thing my first good newsy thing is role modeling baldy next level decision making i'm intrigued so earlier this year, this is kind of a bit of a my coolest things from 2019, actually, um, since it's December. Earlier this year, The Independent, which is a UK online news hub, ran an article with this headline, Norway refuses to drill for billions of barrels of oil in the Arctic, leaving whole industry surprised and disappointed. <laughs> That's a great headline. <laughs> Isn't that a great headline? I love it. And uh, so the thing... the. The reason why it's just super ballsy is because fossil fuels have made Norway one of the world's most affluent countries, and like this is this is kind of the same as uh, farming or dairy for us. Um, the country pumps out over one point six million barrels of oil a day. This is Norway. This is Norway. Wow. Yep, yep. So this is their. This is their thing that they do. Mm. And um, yeah, so earlier in the year, Labour Party withdrew its support for exploring, for for the explorative drilling of oil on the Lofton Islands, which is considered to be this beautiful natural wonder. It's a little group of islands actually in the Arctic Circle. And they've just said, nope, we just want to leave this sensitive area alone. Uh, and the thing about it is that there's thought to be between one to three billion barrels of oil there. 
leave them in the ground. And they're just saying we're going to leave it in the ground. And this is an estimated 53 billion euro they think they're going to be missing out on. Wow. That is ballsy. It is ballsy, eh? It's like 53 billion euro. I love it. I just think, wow, this is like... If they can, they they are that is next level. It's ballsy and it's next level decision making, and it's just so hopeful that someone's done it on this scale. There's, it, I feel, like, is that tipping point thing? Yeah, because yeah. when we're wading through looking at um, bits of news for these good news episodes, there's so much greenwashing you've got to wade through of like companies announcing some. I know. I went through a couple of rabbit holes. I almost, you know, thought, yeah, I'm going to do that. And then last minute yeah. I found something. I was like, oh. You look into it and you're yeah. like, oh, okay, I don't even know if this is sort of legit or if this is just a bit of a press release yeah. exercise, yeah. But a bit of publicity for them. But that is legit. They're leaving in the ground. How much did you say again? 50 billion? Uh, 53 billion it's worth. And then in terms wow. of the number of barrels, that like one barrel of oil is about a sort of a fairly full bathtub from what I can <laughs> nice, work out. Nice, okay. That's good. <laughs> Uh, so one to three billion barrels of oil. Far out. Mm. Well, whoop, whoop. can I take something on related to that? Because this actually links in. Well, you can have your whole turn. <laughs> well, this is it. I'll take a smaller turn now. So a, a bit of news that I came across um, that just got announced today, day of recording. We recorded it a little bit in the past. Ooh, movie Ooh. magic. Um, a huge investment. They're an insurer called uh, Store Brands, who are Norwegian. They're a life insurance company. They've just scrubbed all of the funds managed by their. They've got like a Swedish subsidiary, and they've removed um, all of the fossil fuel uh, related investments that they've got as part of their fund. All of them. So the subsi- the Swedish subsidiary of the Norwegian company, it's called Fonda. Um, they manage twenty four billion dollars in assets. And they no longer own stakes in firms that produce or distribute fossil energy sources wow. or companies related directly to these industries, such as oil service suppliers. So they've gone through and completely scrubbed their investment portfolio, um, divesting from I, fossil fuel stuff. It's, it's so, like, seriously, Tom, it's so uncanny how bizarrely on the same page we are. Yeah. Because, get this, this is the very next thing I was going to say. Go on. And saying. This year, Norway's government also announced its $1 trillion oil fund, which is the world's largest sovereign wealth fund, would invest in renewable energy projects instead of oil. Fantastic. Instead of. Instead of. So this is this is their one trillion dollar. They've got the largest sovereign wealth fund in the world. Wow! Yeah, interesting. Eh? It's all yeah. oil, but, and this is so. <laughs> but this this is their this is their oil fund. That's actually what it's called. Yeah, their one trillion dollar oil fund. And they're chucking it elsewhere. They're putting it into renewable energy. It's such a good metaphor as well, because if you like, that's such a big thing. And if you break it down to yourself, it's like there's all these. They've got such a huge. Uh, accumulation of assets, financial assets that are a little bit of ill-gotten gains. You could frame it as from mm. all of this past of oil extraction and, and selling and processing. But once you've got the things and you've got the knowledge and you've got the public pressure, then you can throw those assets in a positive direction. People and huge wealth funds can change, just like accepting lottery grants. You- yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what is really cool as well about all of this is that. It really has, it's, they're not doing it for no reason. They're doing it against their own financial interests. And a lot of mm, these. Arguably, actually. 
Well, that's well, true. Well, yeah, no, a good I mean, point. obviously, leaving $53 billion worth of oil in the ground is against your own financial interests. But the, the divesting purely, thing is, yeah. Yeah, it, it's driven by citizens and consumer demand. Like the um, chief executive officer of the Swedish subsidiary of the Norwegian life insurer I was just talking about, their quote was, uh, the growth in our fossil-free fund is a result of strong customer demand. So this is being driven, like, completely by people. Mm. It's so cool. So exciting. It's still your turn. Okay. Have well, a proper, proper turn. The, the bigger thing connected to this is, so we've just had uh, COP25, which is the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, which you will have seen a lot of different news articles coming out of this convention. Um, a lot of announcements, a lot of protests, a lot yeah. of action on mm. climate change stuff um, as a result of this meeting in Madrid. And um, a big headline that I saw pop up this morning which is pretty bloody cool, is big investors up... Big inv- oh, I think some words around the wrong way here. Big investors call up for governments to take climate action. And what this is, is 600 institutional investors that manage 37 trillion US dollars in client assets. It is more than the GDP of the United States and China put together <gasps> that, that these um, wealth fund uh, managers are looking after. And they've basically sent this statement out with a list of demands for governments around the globe. And those When dem- does it ever happen around that way? That's yeah, amazing. I know. This it's is nuts. cool. This is good news. But the thing is, is it's all being driven by these clients, which filters down. It's all from customers demanding higher standards yep. for these companies and the related suppliers that they deal with. So the... Um, it's happening, people. It's happening. The, de- the demands that have been made to um, governments around the world are to phase out thermal coal power, to put a meaningful price on carbon pollution, which I that one really surprised me, to be honest, to have a huge collection of investors. Like, that's what they are. They're just wealth um, managers. They're money managers. People sitting on these... They're like human dragons sitting on rubies and <laughs> gold coins. Nice picture. And they're demanding something like a um, ET... Like a... Um, what are they called? A carbon trading scheme. Yeah, the emissions trading schemes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they've also demanded an end for subsidies on fossil fuels and an update and strengthening of nationally determined contributions to meet the goals of Par- of the Paris Agreement. So basically, they're asking the governments to get their shit together to meet their carbon um, commitments as part of the Paris Agreement. And it's just so weird to see some people who represent so much money and driven by money, and the whole thing is money, going, hey... Do these things. Awesome. Yeah. So awesome. I think that a lot of people have made their money and were or are into money because they more or less had the worldview that it wasn't really costing anybody else anything. And then a lot of people are catching up with, oh. It's that that, that dark word in economics called externalities. Yeah, and I think it's gone from being a, a fringy irritating thing to like oh this is a thing and uh, so what I'm meaning is that it it connects with anyone's moral compass once you can see it and make the links yes absolutely I I, funnily enough little little uh plug for a podcast I listened to a long-form interview with the woman who developed the concept of donut economics and wrote that book about it oh Kate Kate Raworth is that how you say her name Raworth 
Raworth. Raworth. Um, so she developed the idea of donut economics, which is that there's basically like limits on the outer ring, which is the fact that we're on a planet with finite resources. And yep. then there should be limits in the inner ring in terms of what we're prepared to let people you know, what their base yeah, living social, standards can yeah, be, that they shouldn't go standards. any lower yeah, than this. Yeah. So we should exist on this this sort of that sweet spot donut shaped. Yeah. Yeah, so we've Goldilocks all got enough sign. and we're we're looking after ourselves, living good lives, but not costing the planet. The chat was on the TED interview podcast, which is fantastic. And it's the guy I think it's the guy who like runs the TED talks and he sits down and talks to them for about an hour about the, the concept or philosophy that they're bringing. And it's a really good um, discussion of sort of the ills of modern capitalism and what's gone wrong and what she thinks we should be doing next. And a lot of it's about environmentalism. It's quite cool. Mm. And we're mentioning that on the Good News episode because it's a whole new framework that is very powerful and it's really reframing economics for the 21st century, giving us solutions. It is, and it's not fringy anymore. That's the crazy thing. Yeah, like that's it, kind of the underlying tone to all of our good news, I reckon. It's yeah. not fringy anymore. And it, it used to be like until quite, quite recently, but all the stuff, yeah. it does, there seems to be a massive consciousness shift around the globe, which is cool. I feel like it's time for my next turn. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. The exponential growth of a global fossil fuel divestment movement. Sounds good. Which is, this is this thing, Tim, that's tripping me out today, how similar our stuff is. Mm. So um, divestment is the opposite of investment. Um, and particularly looking at fossil fuel divestment is when investors take their money out of oil and coal and gas. And, and often they'll put it into renewable energy projects instead. Um, and it's the effect of where you put your money is is very powerful, obviously. Um, it's really, not only is it building this needed sort of step change infrastructure uh, for renewables, but it's it's actually delegitimizing de and slowing the fossil fuel industry because they're, they're literally finding it harder to finance their projects. Yeah. Um, and it's really reached a bit of a tipping point now. It's gone from um, being just like a um, a good, a nice thing to do uh, to actually like our superannuation fund in New Zealand actually a couple of years ago took a huge amount of money out of um, fossil fuel projects, but not because they had any aspirations around. Um, being more yeah. ethical with your investments, <laughs> but because they were they they considered them quite high risk, wow. um, because they were they felt that they were at risk of becoming stranded assets, right? Just as things all shift around them, um, and the other thing is that it's doesn't on the whole, like statistically, it doesn't have anything to do with your returns. So you won't you won't get lower returns mm. um, if you're investing in ethical things. Um, so the, the, yeah, I mentioned that it was exponential growth. So all of this has just really happened since 2011 when a, a, a few dozen college campuses in the United States, uh, really put some pressure on their administrations to divest their endowments. And then by 2012, there were about 50 campuses. So what, what are we, that's not long ago is seven it? years yeah seven years ago and by 2014 there were so get this this is a huge jump 
181 institutions and 656 individuals had committed to divest over 50 billion, including the Rockefeller Foundation, which withdrew 50 billion US from fossil fuels in 2014, despite their fortune was made in oil. Wow. Yeah. So it was just a couple of years later. Yeah. It, that it was also, that's, the, that's also the year, I think one of the very first groups to, or entities to do it in New Zealand was Dunedin City Council. Um, they were New Zealand's first city to divest. Um, These uni towns, you got to watch uh, them. So yep, the students, thinkers, they get yeah. ideas. And um, it's probably about the time I first started hearing about it. I think I might have signed a couple of petitions and maybe wondered for the very first time if my Kiwi Saver account was a good one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it, it's just something that has just been really leapfrogging. So the, the next year in 2015, it was up to 43 countries where there'd been individuals and institutions that had been committing to divesting uh, well into the 2000s um, in terms of numbers of institutions and things. And now we're talking about 2.6 trillion in assets. It's just a massive jump. And then at this point in 2015, um, fossil fuel divestment becomes the, or reportedly becomes the fastest growing divestment movement in history. Whoa. And then 2016, more commitments just flood in. Um, And also there's a bit of a diversity happening now in 2016 where you've got about a third from faith-based groups, another third from foundations, uh, 15% government organisations, uh, 13% pension funds, 12% colleges. So just, you know, huge diversity suddenly and, and jumped again um, to $3.4 trillion in assets. We're throwing a lot of numbers out there, Wave, which is always the number one rule of <laughs> don't do that in podcasts. <laughs> but they are huge numbers of all of this money flooding away from oil. Yeah, huge numbers, huge numbers. But I really want to say that now, in 2019, this exponential growth has just continued and it's definitely reached a tipping point. Um, the approximate value of all of this divestment is now up to over $11 trillion. $11 trillion. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And it, that's, that, there's over 1,000 institutions and almost 60,000 individuals. It just goes to show, if you think you're not making a difference, you gosh darn wrong. Because this is just a collection of people who demanded action. And it, and it had, oh, it's incredible. Just every year. Yeah. Look at that. It's yeah. gone up and yeah. up and up yeah. and up yeah. and up. Yeah, yeah, And in New Zealand, so in, so 350.org, have you heard of them? Mm-hmm. They're um, oh, a big part of what they do is just campaign to keep carbon in the ground. And they're actually one of the really key groups behind the divestment movement. And so there's 350 Aotearoa have been just just quietly working on pressuring institutions to divest in New Zealand. Um, yeah, and they've had some great results. You know what's left, final domino to fall in this, is we've got to figure out how to sort Australia out. <laughs> <laughs> Especially our Australian <laughs> banks. So um, actually that's something you might want to do is just... Sort Australia out? I'd love to, <laughs> Wave. Yeah, me too. Would that I could. So... The, you may be inadvertently supporting the fossil fuel industry, depending on where you put your money, like your your bank account and your KiwiSaver account. Um, and I can put in the show note links um, to a really cool resource from 350 Aotearoa for ranking the banks. Great. Yep. And it's, it is. It's all who's the Aussie. The I'm interested. Who, who's at the top? Who's at the bottom? Um, Let's get into a bit so of that. It's, so the Aussie banks are all a big write-off. Um 
And then Kiwi Bank and TSB and the Cooperative Bank, they're all they're all looking really good. That none of them have actually made commitments to mm-hmm. divest, but they don't have any investments in um, fossil fuels. And Kiwi Bank have made commitments earlier this year to um, they've basically got a list of types of organisations that they won't invest in because of the impacts that they have, the negative impacts that they have. Right. Have they got recommendations on where to chuck your KiwiSaver as well? Yeah, so there's another, oh, again, it's another link um, from Mindful Money, which are amazing. We'll have to get them on the show. Um, and they have gone, they've gone through all of the KiwiSaver accounts and uh, listed the ones that are uh, fossil fuel free. I'm going to jump on that. Yeah. Sort my money yeah, out. Yeah, check it out. So um, there's quite a few uh, groups and then those groups have funds. So not necessarily all of the funds from that group will tick that box. So you just have to check your actual fund, like the name of the fund. And the oh, so of- like, for example, BNZ could have a bunch of different funds. So BNZ will have a mix of some good, some bad. Yep. So yep. you've got to make sure yeah, you've yep. got the yep. good one. Yeah, and use gotcha. this mindful money guide to... Um, Check it out. Sort out the yeah. wheat from the chafe. Yes. Um, should I do one? Yes. Uh, this is a bit more in my nerdy wheelhouse. So um, Bloomberg News, uh, they do financial news, and they've got this little division called um, BNF, which I could, I looked for ages, could not figure out what it stood for. It definitely stands, <laughs> it stands for something. You'd hope so. But they report on um, things like renewables and e- the energy sector and um, sustainability money that's washing around in different funds and that sort of stuff. And they've just released the findings of their um, 2019 battery price survey. So mm. this is looking at the cost of... Um, predominantly lithium-ion batteries that get used all around the world. And uh, they have fallen 50% in three years, batteries Mm. have. And they've fallen 87% since 2009. So in just 10 years, they've gone down 87%. And you might be going, well, so what? And also maybe that's not so great, but it allows all of these different industries to get into electrification. Um, and industries that couldn't have even thought about getting electrified before, like factories and manufacturing plants, can now look at getting these huge um, battery packs put in to take care of certain bits where previously they'd be generating yucky coal energy and that sort of thing. Because a big part of renewable energy is the battery component to it. So you will have heard dum-dums um, talk about how, well, what are we going to do if we've got wind power and the wind stops blowing? Or wh- how do you turn your lights on at nighttime when there's no solar? And um, <laughs> it's honestly, it's the stupidest argument I've ever heard in my life. But, that, but you know, dum-dums do make it. And the answer, of course, is batteries. You store the power somewhere. So with these lithium-ion batteries getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, it's opening up um, people to be able to move their lives into sort of renewable power that gets captured, and we can electrify other areas, which reduces their carbon footprint. It makes things like electric vehicles compete with combustion engines for the first time ever. So because in large part, based on this trend of the batteries getting cheaper and cheaper all the time, um, electric vehicles are expected to reach parity with combustion engine cars in 2024. So that's in just four years now um, as a result of these prices. What sort of a parity? There's a number of people Oh, but them. sorry, cost parity. So okay. like they will cost the same um, with that. Because at the moment, a lot of EVs are subsidized 
by governments that have them in. So like the state of California, for example, has a ton of EVs because California had such a huge pollution problem that the state went, it's worth our while to give you $4,000 or whatever it is for against the cost of a new EV to encourage people to buy them. And that's quite common. A lot of EVs are subsidized around the world. But even taking all of that away, electric vehicles will um, will reach cost parity with combustion engine cars in 2024, which is very good because it means people now have no reason not to get them. Because mm-hmm. um, they're way cheaper running costs, uh, electric vehicles, as I understand, a non-driver. So <laughs> don't quote me on that. But the big barrier to entry was actually getting the vehicle in the first place. So if mm-hmm. they cost the same, it's Yeah, good. that was for us too. We wanted... It'd be great to have an electric car, but it hasn't really been our price point. Yeah, um, but so, that's all changing. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. So I'll read a little quote from the report that came out. Once again, this is um, Bloomberg BNF's 2019 battery survey results. BNF's analysis finds that as batteries become cheaper, more sectors are electrifying. For example, the electrification of commercial vehicles like delivery vans is becoming increasingly attractive. This will lead to further differentiation in sales specifications with commercial and high-end passenger vehicle applications likely to opt for metrics like cycle life over continued price declines. I don't know what that last bit means. However, for mass market passenger EVs, lower battery prices will remain the most critical goal. So we're talking about things like buses, Mm. which is great. If we can get people into public transport that's electrified, that's going to make a massive impact on the carbon footprint of urban zones and cities. Mm, Nice. Yeah, that is cool because we're talking about infrastructure now, eh? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we need. So pretty exciting, big stuff that's happening. Yeah. Like for the cost of batteries to fall by half in three years, it's just so quick. And those staggering billions of dollars you were throwing out before about this um, flight away from fossil fuels and divestment from the oil Mm. industry. It's kind of uh, two sides of the same coin, isn't it? Totally. Because that money is flooding into these other areas where we can um, invest in R&D. Actually, speaking of that, have you got any good news about um, batteries becoming um, less environmentally harmful? That stuff's more science-y. Um, so, and a little more theoretical as well, there are some like on the horizon, um, theoretical battery designs, which are a lot less harmful, um, getting away from lithium ion cause they don't involve things like cobalt, which is yeah. awful and lithium, which I think is really bad and lead. I'm pretty sure is a component in lithium ion batteries, which obviously is really bad. Um, things like graphene, which has been promised for a very long time to be this revolutionary game-changing material, which can be used in everything and, in um, batteries as well. The, the, so batteries has like been holding up a lot of stuff for a long time, um, getting better because battery technology from memory on average, it gets about seven or 8% more efficient every year, but Compared to other areas of technology, that's not very big gains. And compared to where they are as well. You know, like, say, for circuit boards or whatever, they're already pretty incredible. Whereas for batteries, it's like, we're way back with batteries. There's heaps of issues and they're not great. Exactly. Yeah. For the for the applications that we want them for, yeah. And there are some um, pretty promising developments that are coming up, but I usually don't talk about them on the podcast because there's so much stuff in science. There's a and- wealth of battery knowledge. Well, but, well, not really. I don't know that much about them. It's but your they're, wheelhouse. They're just batteries are. They've just been the zone that's held up a lot of yeah. other technology. Yeah. 
Um, and there's there's like solid state battery designs that have been floated, which are supposed to be pretty revolutionary, and I think inc- theoretically increase the the energy density by three times. And the thing is, is like wow. When you increase the capacity of a battery, you also extend its life cycle because a battery can only charge and discharge a certain amount of times, like say it's a thousand times. But if you can increase the density of that battery by say double, then you've doubled its life as well because you're charging and discharging it half as many times to get the same energy output. So... Um, they're trying. There's a lot of investment. There's a lot of R&D going into changing battery designs at the moment. And we will crack it at some yeah, point. Yeah, we will. But we'll it turns cool. out to be a way more difficult problem to solve than I think people initially thought. Mm. Anyway, good stuff. Now we've got to crack those battery designs. Yeah, awesome. And so I'm going to change topic completely. Please. I'm moving it... Bringing it down to local, some New Zealand um, good stuff that's happening. Um, what I thought would be quite cool just to be take a moment to celebrate Aotearoa's environment centres. So we've mentioned um, environment centres a few times on the show. Like I think when you've asked questions about how can I find out more about this, how can people connect, I'm like I often will say, well, just see if you've got an environment centre in your area and darken the door. So there are a couple of websites. One is the Environment Hubs Aotearoa website, um, which is a nationwide network of all of the different environment centres in New Zealand. There's, a, there's 15 members, 15 centres. Um, there are more, but um, those are the ones that are, that are involved in this hub. Um, and they are spread all over New Zealand. They are super cool because... They will connect you with a whole lot of stuff that you just didn't know was there. So whether that's experts or projects, networks, funding, resources, um, and you can learn through through these environment centres. You can learn how to live sustainably at home. You can re- retrofit your home. You can meet others. You can get involved in local conservation projects. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're just they're incredibly diverse, what they do, and... I think really effective. Um, they're involved just like in everything, a little bit like this podcast. We're just generalists. Mm-hmm. It's like whether it's fresh water or transport or whatever, we want to talk about it. And same for the environment centres. It's transport, marine, fresh water, community development, biodiversity, gardening, energy, education, waste, volunteering, you name it, they're into it. And are these environment centres just a group of people who have a shared goal? It's not like some government department or something. Yeah, no, they they they're not government departments. They they'll they'll almost always be picking up government funding. Um, but so on this uh, Aotearoa Hub website, it's got a few stats, and one of them is that forty four percent of their income collectively is self generated. So they're not they're not just picking up um, government funding. They also receive a lot of money um, from philanthropists philanthropists and others um, so they sort of bundle it all up together and their website says that there's over six million uh, that they uh, they funds that they receive wow. which just goes straight into projects and um, they employ oh 70 odd staff collectively sure, yeah so are they networked or uh, are they kind of autonomous around the country do you know well this the network is this this hub that sure. i've mentioned um which is a just a loose 
group of people mm-hmm. um, or organisations. So they are all individual. Typically, it will be a bunch of keen enthusiasts in an area that will decide that they'd like to start up an environment centre. And then that's usually a small, might not even be that decision. Like, so for example, in Auckland, the Kaipataki project started, which is kind of the North Shore, Northern Region Environment Centre, started because a group of people actually wanted to care for their native bush reserve just right where they were. That's why it's called the Kaipataki project, because that's the that was the name of the area. So that actually took time to grow. They started a native nursery and then they attracted volunteers and they're like, oh, let's do a bit of gardening. And then, then the local council said, oh, do you guys want a bit of money to run this outcome for us? Because it'd be easier if you guys did it than us. And then next thing you know, they're kind of going, hmm, we're kind of an environment centre now. What else can we do? Yeah. That's so, so cool. um, Yeah. They are cool, and uh, they've just most of them have just published annual reports for the year. So I thought I'd do a couple of shout outs, Great. showing my Auckland bias because I'm sitting here in a chair in Auckland. Um, there's two environment centres in Auckland one is Eco Matters, and the other is Kaipataki Project. And Eco Matters, in terms of impact, they engaged. Uh, <laughs> forgotten how you say it. One hundred. Oh, hang on. They engaged one over one hundred and fifty thousand people this year in Auckland. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot of people, eh? It That's a actually a tenth of the population. Yeah. Um, because they, they both of these guys run quite big eco fests at the same time, actually, which is cool. You can kind of pick and choose what you want to go to. Um, they collected. Oh. Two, over 250,000 kgs of weeds. That is just, I can't actually picture that. But that's a lot. That's heavy. 250 tons. 1,000 kg to a ton. That's yeah, it's a lot right. Of weeds. Yeah, yeah. And they also got, they kind of rolled up their sleeves and got into home improvement too. So these are contracts that they pick up where they will go in and help insulate or wrap up hot water cylinders and yeah so they're making some real differences with energy saving and they planted 13,000 trees actually almost 14,000 and get this they ran over 3,000 workshops and events that's so good huge eh huge yeah that's massive Mm, mm. these are the people I need to hunt down I was just thinking about this yesterday actually I want to do the um composting course oh, that we mentioned yes. yep. previously. So the compost collective. And so yeah. it actually the two environment centres partner to run that course. These guys are brilliant. Yeah, that's so brilliant. And with this annual report, um, which came into my inbox via Damon Birchfield, who is the director. Shout out. Yep. And he says, oh, I love this, I'm going to quote it. He says, scientists remain justifiably concerned that this is indeed a tipping point for our ecosystem, as in the negative crap. But I also remain hopeful because I believe that our report shows how many people are taking direct action with the help of organisations such as ours and are restoring balance in our environment, which is its own kind of tipping point. See, tipping points aren't always negative. No. Positive ones yep, too. Yeah, big old positive one. And the other shout out is to Kaipataki Project, the northern, uh, the North Auckland um, Environment Centre. They just did very similar, very, very cool stuff. Um, over 30,000 eco-sourced, chemically free uh, native plants grown. Can you say that again? 
over 30,000 eco-sourced, chemical-free native plants growing. Amazing. Over 95 species. That's good. We like diversity. Yes. They have 97 regular volunteers. Crap loads more of just volunteers that turn up. But 97 regular volunteers, which I thought was amazing. They ran 26 sustainable living courses and 417 compost collective workshops. That's what I need to get That's on. That's what you need to do, one of those 417. 417. I really should have been at one by now. Yeah. <laughs> it's more than one every day of the yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, So anyway, they are awesome and they make me feel happy. Hooray! Hooray! And sorry for that Auckland bias, the rest of you all. Um, that I know for a fact because I've visited them and hung out. There are just so many other cool environments and just doing cool things in the rest of the country. Uh, so, Wave, what should people be doing with these positive vibes and this uplift from this episode? Should they know, go. have a cup of tea and sit down and do nothing? Oh, well, why not? No, that just wasn't where I was leading you. No. Go and sit in the sun. No, take that positive energy. Smile, just smile. No, throw it at something constructive. Um, empower yourself to to go and make some changes around you in your local. Well, we've given you area. some very tangible stuff in this. Hey, go check your KiwiSaver account. Go check your bank account with those links in the show notes. You don't. And then, that, that's not even. I mean, that's an easy one as well. You don't, you don't even really need to roll up your sleeves and do anything. Go you know? to the uh, Environment Centre Hub website. Find your. If you haven't been, if you haven't connected, go and find them. I reckon they've engaged me somehow. I, I feel like I'm the one in T, but yeah. I don't know how they did it. <laughs> yeah. I think I was, that's probably true. When I was at a market or something, they yeah, gave yeah. me some info. Uh, well, this is great. I love this. Things are trending well. <laughs> we'll get back to the normal <laughs> doom and gloom <laughs> in the next episode. But um, it is important for us to look at all the amazing positive stuff because there's so much good stuff happening around. And it doesn't get reported because that's not how the news works. The news does not look for positive news stories. So we have to go and fish around and find them out for you. But just be aware that there is some amazing trends that are happening. Um, we've covered like some of the scientific ones and the financial ones on a massive global scale. Um, you know, we are People slowly movement. going in the some bits are going in the right direction, and we just need to get everything going in the direction, the right direction, and a little bit faster. So be part of that and find out how how you can contribute to that. Yeah, awesome. Preach it, Tim. Love it. We'll catch you in the next episode of How to Save the World. You can do your bit by sharing this podcast. That's a contribution. Yeah, that's an easy one. Yeah. You can pop it on Facebook or um, just tell a friend in real life. What a powerful thing to do. Love it. It's good. We'll catch you in the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.